This show is brought to you by Safety FM. Well, we're here. Friday. Welcome to Friday, December 30th. 2022 this is our last live program on safety fm who knows what i'm doing tomorrow we're gonna be relaxing tomorrow having some friends over having some family over enjoying ourselves a little bit reflecting and everything else having that cup of cheer for our old times sake as the song says I hope everybody's doing well out there they enjoyed their week off I had I had to work all week I had a very great conversation I don't think he would mind me saying uh, anything was uh, with Sheldon Primus our safety consultant here on Safety FM on our network uh, from and I, I don't think I'm going to be out of line when I wanted to wish everybody out there a happy blessed new year from all of us here on Safety FM and the Safety Wars family or I should say family it's because we're all families here thank you for all the encouragement thank you for giving me the opportunity to be here. If you're a listener, thank you for sticking with me here with all my little mistakes and malapropisms and everything else that goes on. I wanted to, now a lot of people are feeling very sad this time of year uh, for a whole host of reasons. Lost loved ones, strange families, financial woes, other issues that come up with life. And remember that there's always someone out there that you can talk to. If you're contemplating suicide, you have mental health issues, please get help. There's plenty of resources out there. And we wanted to, that's what, what my introduction was. So... What I hope you enjoyed my three different approaches last night to accident investigations. Those are all recent investigations I've been involved with. And I don't know what to say other than you have to meet people where they are. Some of the organizations that we work with, they're still on the, on the old way of doing things, shame and blame and everything else. We point out to them that, hey, you know, that's probably not the best way to be uh, with everything. And we, you know, and uh, not the best way to be, not where we need to be with everything. And we have to have opportunities to learn and to grow and everything else. So I was pulled in on a project and it was not a new, it was not, N-O-T, not a New York City Department of Buildings project. This was a uh, project outside of the uh, Department of Buildings. However, everybody was there, right? What we're hearing now, because New York City has uh, the department, you need to, uh, to be working on a building in New York uh, that falls under the jurisdiction in the DOB, Department of Buildings, you need licenses. So this is all in response to a series of accidents uh, over the last 13 or years or so, their former Mayor de Blasio uh, advocated and pushed for that everybody gets training. And one of the trainings that you get is like a 30 hour outreach course for construction. So I'm working on a project outside of the department of buildings has nothing. No, they don't have jurisdiction. It's not in New York, but however, everybody not in New York city, it is in New York. And everybody says, well, look, we're, we need 30 hour trained people here, blah, 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 blah. And 
uh, that that's the um, parameters of the job. And they say, yeah, we're all 30 hour train. We got this from the Department of Buildings. We got that. We got that. We got that. We got our 30 hour outreach course. And everybody on the job had they got the course for this project we're on. That's uh, their federal funds involved. So uh, they have that requirement. Anyway, long story short or a short story long, as we see here on Safety Wars, we uh, one of the employees uh, had a concern and wanted to and uh, had a concern about respiratory protection. And we have done a lot of industrial hygiene out there, a lot of sampling, a lot of what have you. And there is not an issue, but he had concerns. So he was doing work activity where he was wearing a one of those paper imitation dust mask, surgical masks that you get at a department store for like a quarter. And now during the pandemic, now this is fallout from the pandemic and the conflicting information that we received from the CDC. I'm sorry, I'm going to put it out there. CDC gave out some information that I wouldn't have given out or I would have approached it a little bit differently. And what happened? So they said, well, you got to wear a mask and uh, blah, blah, blah. People wear masks, regardless of what you think of effectiveness and everything else. And the implication was that this virus, you can protect yourself and other from this virus if you wear this mask without an exhalation valve. And this will protect you from and this is a, a factor of message sent versus message received. The message sent was, this is going to reduce your chances of exposure, blah, 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 blah. Message received was, this will protect you from the most deadly virus that's ever hit, you know, done anything, blah, 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 blah. And what we're finding out now on a lot of these projects is, you know, after years of being hammered away, hammered away, hammered away, two years and the uh, lockdowns and everything else. Now people are out there in the field and they're like, well, if it'll protect me from this virus, it'll protect me from this, this, this and this and from you no know, oxygen deficient atmospheres, blah, blah, blah. That's what we're seeing out on these jobs. And so all the way back to uh, 1982, uh, 1981 in central Jersey, uh, where we had two major fires, chemical plant fires, and everybody's running around with, uh, you know, the same surgical masks, right? Uh, the non-emergency responders, uh, non-firefighters, that sort of thing police EMTs with, and then they're wondering why they're getting exposures. And no, this is all before, before the 1989, uh, 19, 1929 CFR 1910-120 has standard. So what do you think ends up happening? What ends up happening is people got exposed. People got sick. There was, I was talking to the former head of the New Jersey DEP, William Labrizzi, who, uh, rest in peace, Bill, uh, he was one of my college professors. He said the first day of the response at Kinbuck Landfill on Meadow Road in Edison, New Jersey, you could go and you could Google this and you could put it on, uh, find the videos from YouTube. Uh, they had over 27 DEP, uh, workers, uh, overexposed to God knows what, probably fuming nitrous among other things and no protection. So here we go now with these masks. And I said to the guy, I no, and I said, we had our uh, daily safety meeting. I said, look, uh, why, why were you wearing this? Well, no, he gives, well, although I was wearing this respirator, blah, 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 went on and on. I said, you know what a respirator is? in this country, in the United States. So yeah, it fits over your face. I said, legally, right, let's get technical here. I said, you're 30 hour train, yeah? And he said, yeah. I said, they talked about respirators in that 30 hour course? Oh yeah. I said, you took the class in person or online? He said, in person. I said, okay, younger guy. I said, this 
this is not a respirator legally. He said, really? That's not what they said in the set? I said, not legally, not a respirator. A legal respirator is an rated by NIOSH, which is a division of centers for of the Centers for Disease Control and National Institute for Occupational Safety and Health. If you look on a real filtering face piece respirator, which is what this man thought this was, somewhere on there, either on the package, but almost always on the respirator itself, it has a rating on it, NIOSH, and you'll see NIOSH on it. I said, did they say that? And said, no, why, you know, and then there's someone else in the class and the uh, group of people in those safety meetings says, well, what about the KN95? He was from Eastern Europe and the FFP2. Those are all respirators. I said, not in this country. If they do not have a NIOSH rating, they are not legally respirators in this country. Then why do they recommend these? I said, because as we recall, and if you've been paying attention, you're in the safety field. They had a huge shortage of respirators. And they said, don't use the N95s and to use the N95s, save them for this, save them for that. And then they said, well, if you have surgical uh, or med medical N95s, that's a different rating, blah, 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 blah. And it goes on and on and on. We're all professionals. We all know what that is. I said, companies went out and bought the KN95 and the FFP2s. And, so, and there were some others out there. Uh, one that, because that's all that was available, number one. Number two, if they would have, employers would have went out and bought the N95 respirators and said you had to wear them and they made them mandatory, what would have they have had to do? They go out oh, and the guys are thinking and they're like, uh, 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 uh I don't know. Uh, they would have had respirator protection training in, in accordance with 1910-134. They would have had to have the uh, fit testing. Yeah, you can fit test f filtering face piece respirators. They would have had to training on what the limitations of those respirators are and what and everything else that goes under the standard limit limitations and maintenance and everything else. I said, can you imagine doing that for 120 million workers? I said, I would have loved it. I would have, you know, I wouldn't be here on the radio with you. I'd probably be down in St. John's or you no, know, with the president down in St. Croix on the beach. Right. And, uh, that's that. And they, and we went through what all this was and we're going to go through that in a minute. Right. So you have a filtering face piece respirator and they have these, and it seems that nobody, anybody who I spoke speak to, who either presents for the uh, OSHA outreach training, or even the Hazwaffer training, the people who don't present it, and the people, if you're not going to present it, chances are the worker is not going to know it. So a filtering face piece respirator, also known as a dust mask, they're called and everything else with uh, no dust mask mask that sort of thing i uh no a famous radio talk show host said of cape gerardo mississippi i'm saying cape gerardo missouri had said hey it's friday night he said words mean things there was a commercial right for a vocabulary program people judge you on the words that you use I said, it's not a dust mask. You get that out of your mind. It's not a mask. It's, a, it's that one. It is, has a NIOSH rating on it. Right, it says NIOSH. And that goes for a filtering face piece and a, a, a elastomeric, full face piece respirator, glass, any of those, right? If it says NIOSH, it's a respirator. If it looks like a dust mask and it says NIOSH on it, it's legally a filtering face piece respirator. It is a respirator. It has a protection factor for dusts, right? Uh, for uh, for no, of a, a protection factor of 10, meaning you have an exposure level, you multiply it by 10, and you have a maximum use concentration. And you need training, you need to have be clean shaven and fit testing and everything else with it. And it's not something you just pick up and put on. So if a, uh, an employer tells you to put it on, you got to do this. 
So what do these numbers mean? They're either going to, on that respirator is going to be N, and that's the most common one. We hear N95. Or you can say R or P. All right? N, R, or P. I'm re- By the way, if you want to follow along, go to the CDC Guide for Chemical Hazards, and it's in the front part of the book. N, right? So N means no, not resistant to oil. So if you're in an environment where the dust is there and the aerosol and certain aerosols are there, right? N means not, right? It's no oil particles are present. No particles with oil. So what does this mean? We're talking lubricants, cutting fluids, or glycerin. They give an example. That means that if you are on an oil spill and you're using speedy dry or some other uh, 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 compound to uh, clean up oil, right? Granular compound. Are you going to be able to use an N95 respirator? What do you think on that? Well, it says no oil. You don't use it. Well, you know, you try to explain that to people, right? N means no oil, not resistant to oil. Then you have R, which means resistant to oil, and P for oil proof. Those are the three. I said, did they, I said to the guy, did they go over this with you and your thing? I says, I don't remember nothing, none of this. I said, okay. I said, next week, we'll go over this at the full-blown safety meeting. Now, then we go into, well, R, right? Resistant to P. And then I said, okay. Now, we're looking on in the NIOSH guide again. Selection of filter efficiency. It's going to be 95, 99, or 99.97%. I said, okay. I said, 95 means 95% of particles that are 0.3 mean mass aerodynamic diameter. Just think of diameter. 0.3 microns in diameter. 99 means 99% of uh, particles, 0.3 microns in diameter, or... P, uh, 100, no, they round it up. It's 99.97%. That's what that means. So you have 95, 99, or 100. I said, okay. He says, sure. So that's what the N95 means. The N95 means 95%, 99, 99.97. Okay. I said, so what they are rec- what they recommend for medical people, right, or for the general population is, a 95 without an exhalation valve on the front, the little thing on the front that lets the air out so it doesn't fog up your glasses. The reason being is is that they were concerned with the CDC of you, if you have COVID, even if you're asymptomatic, like most people who probably had this, you're shedding viruses, right, from your breath. So if you're, that's basically what it is, an N95 now, if you're a doctor or something, they were saying N95 medical respirator. And that has an additional rating on it, ASTM rating for liquids, right? For penetration of liquids. So that's why what an N95 is, right? Filtering face fuse respirator, marked NIOSH, no exhalation valve. The 99 or the P or the 100s always have exhalation valves. And if you have an elastomeric half-face respirator, what does that have? That has a cartridge that's a P100, meaning oil-proof 100 or 99.97% cartridge. So, so uh, it means... Right, higher efficiency, 99 or 100, means less leakage. And this is where it comes down to for respirators. Now, you're going to say, okay, that's great that you explained that. Like that, Jim. Now, my question is this. I explained that in less than 15 minutes, and I went a little bit more in depth. Right? Imagine if I had visual props. We're planning on doing a lot of this stuff on video next year, which is Tuesday. Right. I don't know if I'll be here Monday night, but we'll be there Tuesday. Now, if you go to OSHA.gov, right, as Occupational Safety and Health. By the way, this is live. We'll get to the news in a little bit, but I wanted to start off with this. Sometimes we start off with the main event first. So 
we don't miss out on it. So you go to 19, 29 CFR, 1910, 134. And you go to Appendix D, APPD, 1910, 134, Appendix D. Right. So in this case, we had voluntary use of respirators. Uh, the employee wanted the voluntary use. And things have been categorized. We had things, we had an industrial hygiene audit and everything else were good, but he wanted to wear some type of face covering and respirator. All right. So appendix, and this is what I do. You can do whatever you want, but this is what I do. I take this page off of the OSHA website and I print it out. And then I'm using the powers of Adobe Acrobat, right? I have the Adobe suite. I go and I type in a place for the name, a place for the date, and a place for the company, right? And a place for the signature. And I sit down with the employees, if it's going to be voluntary use, and I read this to them. I give them a copy and they sign a copy, right? Appendix D to 1910-134 is mandatory information for employees using respirators when not required under the standard. And please forgive me, I will read here most of this. And this is what it says. Respirators are an effective method of protection against designated hazards when properly selected and worn. Respirator uses encourage, even when exposures are below the exposure limit, to provide an additional level of comfort and protection of workers. Now, as an aside here, what does this sound like? Safety, you're adding capacity, right? However, and I'm going on again. However, if a respirator is used improperly or not kept clean, the respirator itself can become a hazard to the worker. Sometimes workers may wear respirators to avoid exposures to hazards, even if the amount of hazardous substance does not exceed the limits set by OSHA standards. Now I'm going to say another side or other exposures standards. And it goes on to say, if your employer provides respirators for your voluntary use, or if you provide your own respirator, you need to take certain precautions to be sure the respirator itself does not present a hazard. You should do the following, colon. One, read and heed all instructions provided by the manufacturer on the use, maintenance, cleaning, care, and warnings regarding the respirator's limitations. Two, Choose respirators certified for use to protect against the contaminant of concern. NIOSH, that's N-I-O-S-H, the National Institute for Occupational Safety and Health of the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services certifies respirators. A label or statement of certification should appear on the respirator or respirator packaging. It will tell you what the respirator is designed for and how much it will protect you. Three, do not wear your respirator into atmospheres containing contaminants for which the respirator is not designed to protect against. For example, a respirator designed to filter dust particles will not protect you against gases, vapors, or small solid particles of fumes or smoke. Keep Number four, keep track of your respirator so that you do not mistakenly use someone else's respirator, period. And I'll add this to it, especially in times of COVID or the tridemic that we're having in uh, the metro New York City area and other parts of the country. So that's what I have them sign. Now, what I go into, and again, this doesn't necessarily have to be a full-blown training class, even though I prefer a full-blown training class. Information has to be there for them. If OSHA shows up to your workplace, let me say this, and they see people wearing voluntary use of respirators, they're probably going to ask them why they're wearing the respirator. And then they're going to start asking for training records. They're going to be asking for, oh, this is voluntary use, but the employee is saying this is a danger. So therefore, where's your industrial hygiene audit? Uh, audits? Prove that it's not a hazard. Why is this person saying this? And they're going to probably talk to the person on the side. Now, here's my question for you. How many people during the pandemic had this training? 
voluntary use because I know one thing. There are certain workplaces out there where they they were not requiring respirators. People wear wore full face respirators and half face respirators. The ISO right the uh, real ones with the right tight fitting respirators and everything else. They didn't get any training. They didn't get this voluntary training. All right. All of this goes into that. You just go, don't go around handing out respirators. The other thing is this. Well, let's say you're a supervisor. You hand someone a respirator. They have a seizure. Guess what? <laughs> you have a problem, especially in New York starting on Sunday when employers are going to be held liable financially by the state of New York under a new law called Carlos's law, where they're going to be getting either 300 to f- or $500,000 fines up to right, maximum fines, depending on the circumstance. So this is an issue here, guys, right? I can see right now there's a big opportunity for safety professionals because, you know, some, what well, you know, uh, we'll go into that in a minute. Carlos's law. But anyway, uh, you can see, uh, we, we remember the story of your listener here at my uh, mother, dear mother-in-law's funeral, one of the pallbearers put on a, one of these invitation masks that this employee was wearing, probably the same brand and everything, and get these invitation respirators. He put it on, right? 25 cents a uh, respirator, and the dude had a freaking seizure. Poor man. While he's carrying the coffin, they dropped the coffin on the way out of the church. I knew that this could happen on paper. I've read about it. Oh, yeah, that ain't ever going to happen. I'm never going to see it. Well, guess what? I saw it. I guess that was the last, one of the last lessons Nancy had to teach me on this so I can communicate it to you. It's really important that you go and uh, have that, uh, no, go through all the right steps here. It's not a lot. For the for this, you can do a full blown man no uh, training and everything else, but three or four safety meetings. If you're doing a weekly safety meeting or toolbox talk, guess what? You got this whole training done and everything. I mean, no, they said, well, the masks are ineffective. Okay, let's see how are people using these masks? These all of this stuff, respirators. How are they using them? You had people who were not clean shaven. I had a dude that was looking like he was a member of ZZ Top out there, right? And big long beard, wearing a wearing a uh, mask, wearing a respirator. Of course, that's not going to give you a seal. And of course, you know, other there were other issues going on there. No, right? So is he protecting himself? No, I had went through this today. The guy's hat wearing a respirator voluntarily. He has a big beard, and I said, well. You didn't, they didn't go over this in the 30-hour course? No. First time you're hearing this. Yeah. I said, okay, well, we're going to have next, I'll come in next week for prepare. We'll give you a whole full-blown class on this. All right. So what does it come down to? So uh, there's a pyramid, right? A benchmarking pyramid, right? Based on Miller's Pyramid for Clinical Competence. And we know we're safety professionals. We like pyramids, Right. And there are four different benchmarks. You can have an awareness level. You can have an employee who has awareness, an employee who understands why, right? They're doing X, Y, and Z. Then you can have an employee demonstrate, right? So the best that a safety professional could do, unless you're there every day, is awareness, so someone, awareness, or I'm sorry, demonstration. Chances are, if they're watching a movie or you're someone there reading off of a piece of paper, the best that they're going to get is an awareness. When you start to get into understanding, right? So what's awareness, right? A fact, your fact gathering. If this, then this. Then you go into application of the learning. And... You understand the cause and effect discussions and formula calculations that you understand. Then you're going on to something higher called you're going to demonstrate. This is probably the highest that any safety professional, especially if all that you do is training and coaching is 
all that you're ever going to see is up to a demonstration. Now, what you could do, right, is I got alerts coming off over the phone here, right? News never stops. Yeah, that that's in the New York area. That's a uh, slogan from a news station. The rude news never stops. All right. So you have, all right. Cognition, you right. So you uh, awareness and understand. Then you demonstrate where you're getting a little bit. Oh, this is how you put it on. You do this. You may have uh, practice runs. You may have a test that you would actually fail. That sort of thing. And then the top level of training is practice. How do we practice? And what do we do? So one of my clients one day. They needed an eight-hour Haswapper refresher. And they had an all-hands meeting. All hands, all right? Like 40, 50 people. I get a phone call at 6.30 in the morning. This is uh, Jimmy. We got a problem here. I said, oh, you do? They said, yeah, we got a big problem. We can't have the training today. And this is one of my regular clients. I have them in the weekly safety meeting program. They get training all the time. And really the full all hands meeting is just like a formality, right? Because they do get their eight hours. It's not all at this meeting though. I said, I tell you what, I said, I've never audited you folks. We didn't have practice with that. So we at the top of the pyramid. He said, I tell you, and I said, and I, you know, I let the client come up with this client said, can you come out to the job? on this emergency response, this spill, and you can like evaluate us, and then you can take us through a uh, after action report, with all your observational pay, you come out here and observe everybody. And I said, yeah, we'll go out there and observe everybody, and you know, we'll do the whole after action report and everything else with you folks, what you did wrong, what you did right, and the whole thing, and that's what the training class was that year. So we went out there and audited for two or three days, I can't, we can't, then we had about a week, I interviewed people, coached them along and everything else. And then like a week later, we had the full blown thing again, or a half a day class. And we, hey, we coached, we did this, we did this, what we found, blah, blah, blah. And we were able to practice by coaching people in the field, doing things in the field and everything else. We were able to go and meet the requirements of the 1910-120 standard, but we was a very useful thing because we were directly observing the worker in the workplace here, a hazardous waste site, uh, a hazardous waste cleanup, a spill of a tanker truck by a qualified person, me. So that's the higher level of training. What we're trying to get to is a practice. If you're going to be an internal trainer, you want to go out there and you want to get down in with the behaviors, with the practices, are they practicing? Are they applying what we're doing in the field? So let's say that you're going to do supervisor training, whether it's Haswoffer, 1910-120 Haswoffer training, or you're going to do uh, confined space entry, confident person or supervisor training, right, which we do here. What are we going to do? We're going to go and we're going to figure out Pardon me, I had to get a drink. Uh, we had to figure out, uh, you have to figure out all this stuff with a worker, with a supervisor, you have to get into that practice, right? And let's remember, being a supervisor is not only what, uh, you know, we're, we're technical knowledge, not only technical knowledge. So, being the supervisor also is supervisory knowledge on everything. So here we have, let's talk about 1910-146. And <laughs> pardon me, I had to cough. You got the beginning of it. So you look at, uh, we're gonna go to the general industry, 1910-146. And we're going to find out what a supervisor is supposed to do. Uh, 
right? An entry supervisor means the person, such as the employer, foreman, or crew chief, responsible for determining if acceptable entry conditions are present at a permit space where entry is planned for authorizing entry, overseeing entry operations, and for terminating entry as required by the section. And OSHA has a note inserted here because this is a very common question. An entry supervisor may also serve as an attendant or entrant as well as that person is trained and equipped as required by this section for each role he or she fills. Also, the duties of the entry supervisor may be passed from one individual to another during the course of an entry operation. I'm going to add, make sure you have that in writing right on the permit. So... What does that come down to? You're going to talk to people how to supervise. All right, we can talk about technical stuff. We could go into in-depth things on everything here. And you can, know, uh, you can go to the 1910-120 regulation. And let's go on over there. 1910-120, hazardous waste site operations and emergency response. You have... Us, Right, let's go. Supervisor. Right, so they mentioned the individual located on a hazardous waste site who is responsible to the employer and has authority and knowledge necessary to implement the site safety and health plan and verify compliance with applicable safety and health requirements. Okay, great. It also has in here the organizational structure. You have to have an org chart, right? With supervision. How are they? It's health and safety supervisor, the general supervisor, right? And everything listed. It has to be called out. It has to be named, right? And it also says here that inspections shall be conducted by the site safety and health supervisor or in the present absence of that individual, another individual who is knowledgeable in the occupational safety and health acting on behalf of the employer as necessary to determine the effectiveness of the site health and safety plan. Any deficiencies in the effectiveness of the site health and safety plan shall be corrected by the employer. Great. Let's go into this too. All right. Initial training. General site workers engaged in hazardous substance removal going on, 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 require 40 hours. Workers on site occasionally, 24 hours. And then they have to be supervised on site for 24 hours minimum of an experienced supervisor if you're 40 hour trained or 16 hours if you are 24 hour trained. Now it goes down here to management E4, 1910-120 E4. On-site management and supervisors directly responsible for or who supervise employees engaged in hazardous waste operations shall receive 40 hours of initial training and three days of supervised field experience. The training may be reduced to 24 hours and one day, blah, 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 blah. At least eight hours as your employees come about, and at least eight hours, right, of specialized training at the time of the job assignments and on such topics as, but not limited to, the employer's safety and health program, an associated employee training program. Well, let's talk about the safety and health program includes probably everyone that I've been involved with something uh, referenced back to the corporate plan and disciplinary and how to manage people, how people will be managed. Ooh, you got to talk to how people aren't going to be managed. Yeah, you do at a certain point. Hopefully the management training provided by HR is going to cover that. But guess what? You're dealing with a smaller business, less than 500 people. That may or may not happen. So you're the trainer. You have to go out there and you're doing supervisor training. You have to go out and maybe talk a little bit about leadership, a little bit about you know, the scary thing that people don't like to talk about, how to manage people a little bit, give them some scenarios, right? And those scenarios are not only, do you, no, this is what you get. Well, this is how you pick. They give you the uh, 
the uh, uh, quick guide to choosing PPE, right? And, and that's not the name of it, but that's basically what it is. And this is how you choose PPE. This is how you choose respirators. This is how you do this. This is how you set this up, do that, blah, 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 blah. But at a certain point, you got to talk. Now, you can learn all of that in some weekly safety meetings. You can talk one on one, coach, and everything like we just talked, right? Especially out there, you know, you're getting, uh, Supervised for 24, 16 or 24 hours, right? Uh, by an experienced supervisor, blah, blah, blah. But what about management techniques? Leadership? Paperwork a little bit? Yeah, we're not going to get away from paperwork. So what I use, and this is an old book. I, I, I don't know if this woman is still alive. I hope she is. Because she wrote a phenomenal book. It is... Mildred Ramsey's The Super Supervisor. What employee, what, and this is the byline, what your employees always wanted to tell you, but were afraid you'd fire them. So this is a book of anecdotes and stories. This is uh, copyright 1986. Uh, I suspect that uh, this is part of this person's retirement program. And the dedication is, quote, supervisors, I hope you get the message contained in this book. A good relationship with your employees will help you increase production, improve quality, and ensure loyalty and help secure your operations future. The principles discussed in this book are simple, but they are sound. They are cost-free and best while they work. They have worked on me hundreds of times. I've seen them work on my fellow employees thousands of times, and they were work on your people. So this is an employee and this is, and what, what problems she saw in their anecdotes. It's like two or three pages of stories here. Uh, some of them are one pages, one page. You may want to go through a resource like this and because some of them apply to managing people. Right, so let's say that you have all these people you just ran through 40 hour housewifer training, right? You, and you got to pay them for it. You ran them, bought them all this equipment. Now it's incumbent on you to discuss, right? Oh, well, if someone doesn't follow the rules, fire them. That's what we used to be told. It's a shame on that worker, right? Well, reference yesterday's shame on that worker, yesterday's program. Shame on, okay, now guess what? Now you're in a, an organization. You're out how much money, right? Because again, 40 hours costs money. Now you got to hire somebody else, pay them another 40 hours, pay for the training. And it costs money to hire people, aggravation and everything else. I just got off the phone with uh, my insurance agent for health insurance. It's a nightmare. They have to pay them unemployment and everything. You know, all this other crap goes on or they may sabotage you. So it's incumbent on you to go out there and talk a little bit about how to be a supervisor. If you're a consultant, what their appetite a little bit, maybe you get a call back. Maybe you'll uh, know if you have a partnership with an HR firm, get them involved. All this stuff is out there. You can do. This is all possible to do. But that's about being a supervisor. It's not only about technical stuff. It's about training techniques. It's about the hierarchy of controls and uh, things of that nature. So, again, if you're a supervisor, you have to have a very good understanding of the hierarchy of controls, how to be a good supervisor, some leadership techniques, and things of that nature. And that all goes into how to be a supervisor. Not only technical, the technical stuff, they're not going to learn the first day. And quite frankly, they could get almost anywhere, right? Usually You're, you got to do your job. But I always make an appointment that says, look, we're going to talk about how to be a supervisor. You want supervisor training? You're going to learn to be a supervisor on this a little bit. What your appetite? Give them resources to maybe go and become better and more things. All that stuff. And no, we're talking about the safety war here. This is the safety war that we're battling here in part. This is all part of the battle for safety. And it also develops your own safety uh, uh, program. And it develops your own person. When you go out there, you do that, right? 
So that's what I want to lead you to. So for, uh, I know predictions. All right. Uh, uh, let's take a break here. I'm going to get a glass of water. And if you have any thoughts on this, please let me know. And, uh, no, get back to me on here, but this is what I want to do. So we're going to take a break and we will be back with you in a minute. In the professional safety community, communication and planning are just a few keys to your program's success. The question many practitioners have is, where do I start? Dr. Jay Allen, the creator of the Safety FM platform and host of the Rated R Safety Show, has built a global foundation to help you along the way. Go to safetyfm.com and listen to some of the industry's best and most involved professionals, including Blaine Hoffman with the Safety Pro, Sam Goodman with the Hop Nerd, Sheldon Primus with the Safety Consultant, Jim Pozell with Safety Wars, Emily Elrod with Unapologetically Bold, and many others. As individuals, we can do great things, but as a team, we become amazing. Dial into safetyfm.com today and surround yourself with a powerful force of knowledge and support. OSHA recordables, first aid cases, catastrophic losses. You want answers? So do I. This is Jim Polzel with Safety Wars. Let's talk about our, I'm back. Let's talk about our, some news here, right? So uh, EPA uh, on their website, their uh, new press release here, EPA and Army finalized rule establishing the definition of WOTAs. We'll find out what that is. And restoring fundamental water protections. This is from today. Washington, today, the U.S. EPA and the U.S. Department of the Army announced a final rule establishing a durable definition of waters of the United States, also known as WOTUS, to reduce uncertainty from changing regulatory definitions, comma, protect people's health, comma, and support economic opportunity. The final rule restores essential water protections that were in place prior to 2015 under the Clean Water Act for traditional navigable waters, the territorial seas, interstate waters, as well as upstream water resources that significantly affect those waters. As a result, this action will strengthen fundamental protections for waters that are sources of drinking water while supporting agriculture, local economies, and downstream communities. Michael S. Reagan stated, when, con quote, when Congress passed the Clean Water Act 50 years ago, it recognized that protecting our waters is essential to ensuring healthy communities and a thriving economy. Following extensive stakeholder engagement and building on what we've learned from previous rule rules, EPA is working to deliver a durable definition of WOTUS that safeguards our nation's waters, strengthens economic opportunity, and protects people's health while providing greater certainty for farmers, ranchers, and landowners. The final rule recognizes the essential role of the nation's water resources and communities across the nation. Um, this is from the Assistant Secretary of the Army, Michael Connor. The rule's clear, supportable definition of waters in the United States will allow for more efficient and effective implementation. And going on and on. The rule, basically, there was a Supreme Court decision in 2015 uh, and all different decisions. They wanted some clarity and, and avoid confusion. And But as we recall, now there's money in confusion. So they're trying to make things less confusing, right? Uh, and everyone understand. We're going to talk a little bit about the financial stuff. This is our closeout for 2022. Dow Jones Industrial fell slightly to 33147, 3341.47.25. S&P 500, 3839.50, down slightly. NASDAQ down 10466.48. Russell 2000 sank to 1761.25. U.S. Treasury note uh, rose to 3880%. VIX, uh, whatever that is, is 21.67, right? Bitcoin fell slightly down, 16.573. Uh, Crude oil at 
$80.51. For uh, precious metals, we have gold at $18.32, up slightly. Silver, 24.22. Platinum, which fell slightly. Platinum at 1,096, up slightly. And palladium at 18.36. Now, some commentary on this. I'm reading from the Wall Street Journal, and basically, U.S. stocks closed out worse years since 2008. That was the big financial collapse. All right? I remember that year. 40% of my retirement plan went to Guvno. Uh, we were able to recoup. But anyway, uh, I think writing this thing out, right, and making common sense things. And again, I'm not a financial analyst type of person and everything else. So this stuff has a tendency of coming back, right? Eventually, see, if you're not sure, like I am, I'm meeting my investment dude later uh, next month because we got to figure this out because I don't know. This is one of the things I don't know about. Right. I do know that precious metals All right. uh, precious metals are going to be uh, going up as predicted by April by uh, several sources. So I don't know. Keep an eye on things. Get help from a qualified financial person. That ain't me <laughs> by any chance. But uh, like I like to say, increase your capacity, increase your knowledge, maybe start a business. All this stuff. There's money to be made. Uh, Max. All right. Max Wolf was his name. He was uh, my aunt, uh, Susan. She married my Uncle Dave, who my Uncle Dave is my uh father's brother. Anyway, we were at a Christmas party. This was in the early 2000s. And I said, uh, Max, and I knew it was a wealthy person. And he said, how, uh, I said, how did you, now I know you're wealthy. I know you're well off. I said, if I could be so bold to ask you what, no, what exactly did you do? And he says, Jimmy, you could, what is what you're going to do? Go over and get me a drink and refill my glass. Come back, sit down, and we'll have a conversation. He says, nobody ever asked me this crap, but I'm going to tell you because you asked. I said, oh, great. Thank you, Max. So I come back. I get him a drink. I forget what it was. And he says, okay, this is what you what I did. Do you remember the old Coca-Cola bottles? And they were forged back in the 1930s. I said, yeah, I remember those. He said it was the height of the Great Depression. I was a very young man, a little bit younger than you. And uh, he said, I uh, figured out a way to make, to print Coke on a curved surface. I said, you're shitting me. He said, Jimmy, I don't shit you. I'm telling you, this is what I did. So really, he said, I made a lot of money during the height of the Great Depression. I just needed the opportunity and I had this idea with a business partner and he went into much greater details I'm not at liberty to discuss. And he said, I want you to remember something, Jim. He said, I was told I'm crazy going to the business in the 1930s. He said, eventually, Coke stopped using those bottles and I went into other things. I, uh, and you know, I had all the, all the soda manufacturers and everything else got on board with this. And I said, he said, and then he started making vending machine covers. So if you were alive up until like the early 1990s, all the vending machine covers for like, it said like Coke or Pepsi or whatever, Max's company made all those or a vast majority of them. He said, don't ever let anybody tell you you cannot be uh, successful in a bad economy. He said, we had a bad economy in the 1930s, United States, late 1920s, early 30s. I said, yeah, I said, as a matter of fact, the country depopulated between 1930 and 1940 and depopulated a lot because people starved to death, people were killed in crimes, and people left the country. And he said, yeah, that, yeah, people forget about that fact. 
demographics. So anyway, something to think about. There's money to be made out there. There's success to be had. There is always an opportunity to build capacity, to build your knowledge, to get an education, even if it's self-education. 2023, we're going to talk about predictions next week uh, on this. I didn't want to do, do it today, but I said, no, we well, I want to talk about this. 2023 is a, I'm going to call it a year of opportunity. There's opportunity all over the place for everybody. What are we going to concentrate on? A couple of things. Manipulation. How are you being manipulated by the economy, by the news, by the internet, social media, in your workplace? All that goes into the safety war to manipulate you, keep you off balance. We're also going to talk about training. We're going to about more videos, more content and everything else. We're planning all this stuff. I have some good uh, predictions for next year and we're going to share them maybe on Monday on this, right? Where we're going to just hit the ground with our prediction show. Now, why do you do a prediction show? Why do you want to do this? Well, something I always wanted to do predictions. And then we check up on them at the end of the year. If we're still here, right? On uh, predictions and how they work out. And if you want to send me your predictions, you could text message me on at 845-269-5772. Or you can contact me on LinkedIn, Jim Pulzel, P as in Peter, O as in Oscar, E as in Echo, S as in Sierra, and L because I love you, right? And... You could drop me a line there, make a connection, whatever. And, uh, you know, you may hear back from me. If you make a prediction that's appropriate, I might put it on the show. So, for example, I don't want to hear about politicians dying or anything like that because that's like a felony. I'll have the Secret Service over here. I don't want predictions like that. I want, you know, normal predictions I can put on the air that are not X-rated because we got a couple of them, too. Right. But anyway, I digress. I want everybody to go out there, have a great weekend, have a great uh, uh, New Year's Eve, celebrate, don't drink and drive. Uh, And that's what I got. Happy New Year and everything else. I want to see you all back here on Monday. For Safety Wars and the Safety FM Network, Happy New Year. We will see you next week. God bless. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording, or otherwise without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen.